Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 541 with Tom Rath. Tom of StrengthsFinder fame is now bringing his analytical, statistical brilliance to talk about contribution. What's your unique style of contribution? How you can enjoy more of that and the associated fulfillment and enjoyment that emerges when you do so. So you'll learn one, how to find your unique style of contribution. Two, easy ways to recharge your energy. And three, a powerful way to make any job feel more meaningful. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep541. Speaking of awesomeatyourjob.com, I've got a couple fun announcements. One announcement, I've mentioned this in the email, if you receive the gold nuggets or other emails from me, is we are having a little party. We're celebrating 10 million downloads. So if you happen to be able to make it to the Chicagoland area on Leap Day, February 29th, we're having a fun dinner. It should be a small group, maybe 10 people, maybe 50 people, maybe you. It'd be fun to have you at one of my favorite restaurants, Joy's Noodles and Rice. It's Thai food. It's in Chicago on February 29th at 7 p.m. We're just going to hang out and meet in person and chat a little bit, maybe do some selfies and such and celebrate 10 million downloads. So thank you for listening this whole duration. It's so exciting that, uh, wow, we've grown quite a ways. And if you make a special trip into Chicago, I'll think you're extra awesome for whatever that's worth. And there's lots of fun to do in Chicago. So even if you're not in the Midwest, you might consider taking a jaunt out here. February 29th, 7 p.m., celebrating 10 million downloads with a dinner. You can learn more about that at awesomeatyourjob.com slash party. A second announcement is as of February 2nd, 2020, or 0202-2020, if you will, there's gonna be a big shift in the podcast. And that is instead of going out three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to go out two days a week, Monday and Thursday. And I know that there are a couple folks who listen to every single episode the day it comes out, and you're awesome. Thank you. However, you are also in the minority. (laughs) And I've learned that the majority of folks find it a little overwhelming, you know, the quantity with which we've gone out. And I'm really seeing some opportunities really to increase the quality of episodes going forward. So I could give you many reasons why I think this is the right move. But the biggest one is that we're going to have the same amount of staff time and effort going into the show with a fewer number of episodes means my hypothesis is that we will increase the quality per episode. More episodes will be more relevant and those will be all the more delightful for you. So they release on Mondays and Thursdays going forward as opposed to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you are feeling disappointment upon hearing this news, I do have a consolation for you, and that's this. This is a longer story, but I tend to trim my main podcast feed to the 300 latest and greatest, as in most engaging, episodes because there's a little bit of a soft limit there, which means I've gotten a couple of emails from folks saying, hey, Pete, I'm going through all of your episodes in order. That's really cool of you. Thank you. So, hey, I'm seeing I got episode 186. And you tease in that one episode 187, but 187 is not there and 188 is not there and it just jumps to 189. What do I do? Well, here's the story. If you would like to have a podcast feed that just has every old episode in it, as opposed to curation of the latest and greatest, 
Well, you now have that. I've worked with my people to get that up and going. From the convenience of your current podcast app player of choice, you can do that as opposed to having to go to awesomeatyourjob.com and navigate to that page and having a, a suboptimal user experience. So in order to pull that off, you just go to awesomeatyourjob.com slash archive, and you will find some instructions for how you can add that kind of special insider link for those who are looking to capture and listen to every episode and not just the curated latest and greatest. Because in fact, many of those episodes, it's not that they're bad. It's just that they had lower engagement levels, maybe because they're a bit more niche. Maybe one's about, say, resigning from your job well. And like, well, I'm not about to do that, Pete. So I'm going to skip this one. But if you are, well, you're, you're really going to want to listen to that one. So that's the idea there is awesomeatyourjob.com slash archive has instructions for how you can add a special feed that lets you listen to every historical episode from the convenience of your podcast app player. And you can have that as a little consolation if it's like I've played all the episodes that I can see in this main feed and you're reducing me to just two a week, Pete. Well, that's where you can go. Awesomeatyourjob.com slash archive. Okay, so those are some announcements. Now, let's hear a little bit about Tom's story. Tom Rath is an author and researcher who has spent the last two decades studying how work can improve human health and well-being. His 10 books have sold more than 10 million copies and made hundreds of appearances on global bestseller lists. During his 13 years at Gallup, Tom was a program leader for the development of Clifton Strengths Finder, which has helped over 20 million people uncover their talents and went on to lead the organization's employee engagement, well-being, and leadership practices worldwide. Most recently, Tom co-founded a publishing company, and he is also an advisor, investor, and partner in several startups. Tom holds degrees from the University of Michigan and the University of Pennsylvania and lives in Arlington, Virginia, with his wife, Ashley, and their two children. Big thanks to Tom for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provider compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Tom. Tom, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm excited to be chatting with you. I have enjoyed reading your books for years and have taken the Strengths Finder multiple times. So I was excited to dig into your latest work. But maybe let's go back in time if we can, because I understand that some health news you got as a teenager really played a prominent role in how you think about your work and life and this particular new development? Yeah, a lot of my early experiences shaped, especially this most recent book, Life's Great Question. Just to give you a short summary of it for your listeners, I, when I was 16 years old, I was having trouble seeing out of one of my eyes and uh, was eventually diagnosed with several large tumors on the back of that left eye. 
and uh, lost sight soon thereafter permanently in that side. And the doctors told me that that was likely indicative that I had a, a very rare genetic disorder that it essentially shuts off the body's most powerful tumor suppressing gene. And they said, you know, there's more than a 50% chance you'll have kidney cancer, pancreatic cancer, cancer in your spine, and a host of other areas over whatever lifespan I might hope for. And I kind of did some research back then and realized that the over-under was probably between 35 and 40 years. Um, so what what that did in retrospect, as I've kind of looked back on as a part of this most recent project, is it certainly helped to get me focused on two things. And one of those things was just reading as much as I could every morning about what I could do to keep myself alive a little bit longer and help people to live longer in good health. That was part of it. And the second part was, you know, it really did help to get me focused even at a young age and early on in my career on what are all the things that I can work on each day on kind of an hourly, daily basis that contribute to growth in other people that I care about or serve uh, that can continue to live on whether I'm actively involved with that or not a week, a month or a decade down the road. Mm. Well, that is some great guidance there. Well, and it seems like you're statistically, probabilistically, you're doing great, huh? Yeah, I'm doing really good. I mean, I've, yeah. I have battled kidney cancer, still am, and cancer in my spine and pancreas recently. And I'm continuing to kind of fight through that on a bunch of different trials of drugs and trying to do everything I can to stay as healthy overall as I possibly can. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's reason and room for hope and that you're still here contributing. And uh, we're very grateful for your contributions. I know I am. And I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy, Lawrence, who brings up strengths <laughs> just about every week. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, it's been quite a contribution. We appreciate you. So um, let's talk about this life's great question. What is it? Life's great question, which a lot of this was uh, inspired by one of my favorite challenges and quotes of all time from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who uh, I think he put it so eloquently when he said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And when I first thought about that question, it kind of haunted me for a few years. And then I realized what a, a powerful uh, rallying call that can be on a daily basis. So every morning I, for the last few years, I've tried to ask myself, what am I working on today that will contribute to others and their growth and their well-being over time? And what I've realized is the more time in a given day that I can spend on things that just directly in a way that I can see serve others instead of worrying about my own priorities or focusing inward or trying to get through a bunch of busy work, the more time I can spend on that, the less stress I have, the better I feel about my days. And I think all of us want to be able to do that on a daily basis and to do some work that matters for other people. We just don't have a very clear way to talk about it and think about it, especially in teams and groups when we're working on things. Um, and as a result, we spend maybe too much of our time focused inward on ourselves and our own development instead of outward on essentially what the world needs. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a, a number of ways that you recommend that we go about gaining some clarity on that. Can you share with us, you've got a phrase, eulogy purposes. What are these? Yeah, you know, one of the things I realized quickly when I was talking with some organizational leaders and CEOs about this is that right now, the the main way that we have or the main method for summarizing a person's life and work is a resume. And 
if I were to go back and try and create the most detached, clinical, sterile, lifeless mm. thing I could, it would be the form of a resume <laughs> we have today. So the more I got into that and had some of these discussions, I realized that we need to help people put together a profile of who they are and why they do what they do and what motivates them and how they want to contribute. And to have that be as uh, kind of robust from a detail standpoint as a resume is so that we can make the focus on contribution just as practical and tangible as we have when we assemble resumes and profiles today. Mm -hmm. And I've taken this profile and uh, it was fun to dig into and think about. You've got a number, uh, I believe it's about a dozen of different flavors or modes of contribution. My top were scaling, visioning, and adapting. So can you maybe help us think through a little bit about once the goal here, so we're going to understand those things and knowing them, what do we do? What I was trying to do to help readers, give readers something practical to do as a part of this book, and they have a code in the back where they can log in and build this profile. But the profile also asks about what are the big roles you play in life? So as a spouse, as a, for me, it's a researcher, as a writer, as a dad, what are those big roles that are really the, as you mentioned earlier, the kind of eulogy values, the things you want to be remembered by? So to start there and then also bring in what are the most important life experiences or miles throughout your life that have shaped who you are and that could help other people understand why you do what you do? And then we also ask readers to add their best descriptors of their strengths. As you've talked about, I think strengths are maybe the most important starting point for aiming a lot of your efforts in life. And then the fourth element that you were just getting into is how can we help people to prioritize how they want to contribute to a team? The, what happens so often right now is we get teams of people together to accomplish something because we're all wound up and energized about a given task or priority. And we all just hit the ground running, start moving forward and working. And we don't take the time to, A, get to know one another, and B, most importantly, sit down and say how each one of us wants to contribute to the effort in a complementary way. So if you're helping our team, if we have four or five people around a team with scaling, for example, and that's a big part of operating and making something great and helping it to grow over time, how do we also have people who are helping us to make sure we're energizing the team and building closer relationships over time and taking care of some of those fundamentals? And how do we have people to ensure that we're teaching others about what we're doing and challenging us to make sure that we're focusing on the right priorities as we go along? And so I started, instead of starting with who the person is, with this project, I started with what are the things that the world needs? And I went back and looked at thousands of job descriptions from the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics and tried to kind of build those into big buckets and categories about what our society values and needs from people who are doing work. And then I think the challenge is for each of us as individuals to kind of go through a series of prioritization questions like you did and decide how we'd like to contribute given who we are and who else is on a given team. Mm -hmm. And is the concept there that certain modes of contribution will be more life-giving, energizing, enriching for us as compared to others? Yes, they're unique. One of the things that gets ignored often when we go through 
inventories and prioritization exercises is there's not a lot of work on what motivates us to do our best on a daily basis. So I did tie in some questions in there about what motivates you to do your best work and then how you want to contribute there. I mean, we all have very unique and different talents and the way I contribute to one team may be different from how I'll contribute to another one six or 12 months down the road. So we really built this to be a team activity that a person can go through an unlimited number of times if they're thinking about a new job, a new project, or a new team, because there is a balancing act, for lack of a better term, that needs to occur if you get three, five, seven, ten people around a team so that you're all working as seamlessly as possible based on what you'd want to do and what you're good at without with as little overlap as possible, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so then you've, in fact, I understand, defined five amplifiers that uh, help us see our jobs as more than, you know, just the paycheck and are bringing some of those cool vibes <laughs> and enthusiasms for folks. Can you walk us through these bits? Yeah, you know, the the first one that I think is important for uh, people in the work world in particular is to, as much as I've talked a little bit today about um, making sure that you're focusing your work on others, the one place where I've learned we really do need to put our own uh, needs first is when it comes to our health and well-being and energy. It's really the energy. We we need to prioritize uh, like things like sleeping enough, eating the right foods, moving around throughout the day in order to have the energy we need to be our best. Even if our sole intent is just to help other people, we need that energy to be our best. So that's one of the big elements. Um, another thing in the workplace is that we need the freedom to do work in the way that matches our style. And so one thing that's been refreshing is I've learned about how people can uniquely contribute is most managers and leaders are very open to a conversation about how can you do your job in a way that fits who you are, even though you may have the same goals and outcomes and expectations as 10 other people, you don't have to do it the same way. So, um, a piece that I think has been underestimated and measured in workplaces is we need the freedom to be our best every day. And that a lot of that's about it, finding the right work environment, the right uh, manager, leader, and so forth. Another really important element that in all the well-being research I've been a part of is probably the most common uh, core that cuts across uh, well-being and work experiences. We need strong relationships to not only get things done, but to have more fun while we're doing it. I have a, a good friend I've worked with for almost 20 years now, and I can call him up in 15 seconds. I can get more done than I could in a 15-minute conversation with a stranger. And so those relationships create a lot of the speed and trust and well-being that keeps us going. And um, another central element is that, you know, we're working each day to ensure that we have kind of the sense of financial security and stability that we need to keep moving through the day. And, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about money shouldn't be the only outcome and the sole basis of a contract between a person and an employer. That's, I think those days are past us and we need to evolve from that. But we do need to make sure that early on in our career, we've got enough money to pay for basic needs and food and shelter and the like. And until we get to that point where we're not stressed about money on a daily basis, a lot of these other things are secondary. So those are a few of the kind of basic needs in there. Mm -hmm. Well, so I'm intrigued and I know well-being 
is a big theme and an area of passion for you. And I am right with you in terms of, boy, your energy levels make all the difference. And you do tons of research in your work. So I got to know, do you have any secret strategies, tactics, tips in terms of having and bringing more energy to each workday? I mean, I think sleeping and eating well are critical. And uh, at the same time, I think people... And maybe I'm guilty of this too. You know, we want the cool new thing. So (laughs) is there a cool new thing? And or what should we be thinking about with regard to sleeping and eating well to maximize energy? Well, you know, I think I, and I I learned a lot about this when I worked on the book, Eat, Move, Sleep, that kind of tied in some of those health experiences we were talking about. And the good news is one good night of sleep, even if you're on a bad streak, one good night of sleep is kind of like the reset button on a video game or a smartphone where it gives you almost a clean slate the next day you're more likely to be active throughout the day, eat better foods and so on. So I think we really undervalue sleep at a family level and at a workplace level. It needs to be a part of the conversation because if people are half asleep and nowhere near as creative or sharp as they need to be at three o'clock in the afternoon in a meeting, that's not good for anyone. Um, and one of the, someone I've worked with, the former Army Surgeon General, Patty Arojo, she talks about how in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan that she knew the troops needed ammunition for their brain, and that's how she prioritized sleep. So I think we need to make sleep a critical ammunition for our brain level priority. That's one thing. The the second big one, I, I think everyone should be able to do their work without being chained to a chair for eight hours a day. Um, the more I've studied this topic, and I, I started working sitting and standing 10 years ago, and I've been working 80% of my time on a treadmill desk for five years running now, and there are bolts falling out of the bottom of the thing now, but it still gives me so much more energy, it's not even comparable to days when I'm stuck in planes and meeting rooms. And I think we need to re-engineer our immediate environment. It's really about variance, so we're up and down and moving around every 20, 30 minutes throughout the day. It doesn't, the good news is you don't I think it's more important to just build little bursts of walking activity in throughout the day. And that's more important for human health than the intimidating goals of 30 or 60 minutes of extreme cardiovascular activity, for example. We just need to find ways to have conversations with people and get work done while we're up and down and moving around quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, so I think that might transition into something. You had a very intriguing book bullet point about how we can turn the job we have into the job we want. And it sounds like one way is to re-engineer it so you can move a little bit. What are some of the other main ways that we can see an upgrade in that department? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think we all need to dedicate more time to in that regard is to uh, bring the source of our contributions or the people that our work is affecting, the lives it's improving, back into the daily conversation. So when when people in food service roles who are preparing food, chefs and cooks, if they can see the person they're preparing the food for, they make better quality meals, uh, they make more nutritious meals, and they feel better about their work. If radiologists who are reading scans of MRIs and CTs all day, if Someone is a part of an experiment when they append a photo of the patient to the record, they write longer reports, and it increases their diagnostic accuracy. And I've seen this across every profession where it's been studied. The closer we can get to the source and see the people we're influencing, even if they're just internal customers and clients, for example, the better work we do and the better we feel about it when we get home each evening. So I think that's one of the 
most practical places to start. And if you struggle to do that yourself in the workplace, my best advice would be help someone else to see why their efforts are making a difference tomorrow. And just in doing that, you'll set something in motion. Oh, yeah, that is powerful. And so certainly, and it sounds like there's many ways you can accomplish that goal. You know, you can actually sort of rearrange the office so that you are getting a visual or you can just have photos, you know, of those folks that you're serving right there. So you mentioned in the medical example, just having photos of the patient there made the impact. And so that's expiring. It's like, I got to get some listener photos (laughs) in my work environment. Photos and stories and I mean, there's kind of the stories and legends we tell. So the other thing is, you know, I I talk about this a little bit in the book, but because I don't have vision on my left side, I can't. But I have a prosthetic, so people think I can see out of both eyes. But I accidentally bump into people all the time just because I don't see them coming on my left, and it's a it's always an interesting experiment for me psychologically because. I'm always the same, but that person, sometimes they're in a really bad mood. Sometimes they're frustrated and out of time. Sometimes they're very kind and apologetic. It, it varies so much, but um, I get to see, and, and I'm in a coffee shop or a grocery store like that, um, I can kind of see how, you know, if I react as good as I possibly can and I'm really apologetic and tell them I'm sorry and whatever else, in some cases, I can take someone who's kind of in a bad mood and diffuse it and turn it around where it's a little bit better. And I think we all have, I don't know if it's 10, 15, 20 moments like that with strangers and people we know throughout the day. And in any case, if you leave that person in a little bit better state than when you first engaged in the interaction, that is a victory that we probably need to do a better job of acknowledging in the moment. Mm, Yeah, I love it. Well, that's the how full is your bucket stuff in action. Right. So in the realm of those small but sort of uplifting, bucket-filling things we can do in the workplace. Could you give us just several examples of things that really make a difference and we can do all the time? Yeah, you know, it's like we just talked about, I think it starts with those very brief exchanges and saying that you, you, don't, um, you don't get to control uh, the emotional tone that someone else brings into a room or into a, an office that you're in at the moment, but we always do have control of our response. And I think if you start to view those little responses as an opportunity to turn things around, that's one good starting place. The, you know, the other thing that I've learned a lot from over the years since the, some of the work on that helpful is your bucket concept is that if you can make it a goal to spot somebody else doing something really well that they might not have even noticed, ideally try to do that once a day. That's one of the more powerful things that can have a real lasting influence on people over time. I think we we talked briefly about some of the strengths work. And because of my involvement with that, people often ask me, you know, what's the most valuable strength? What's the best one? What's the most productive? And so on. And my what I've learned and my really quick answer is the the most valuable talent is spotting a strength in someone else that they had not been able to notice and encouraging them to build on that because boy, when I've seen people do that, it it's so powerful. It can kind of last a lifetime and change the trajectory of a career. So I think to look for those two things in a given day and then at least three, four times a week to look for moments to just recognize in a audible, in a written or an electronic form, great work and to uh, recognize and appreciate someone for specific efforts. And when you're doing that to try and connect your recognition with the contribution it made to another person gives it a little bit more amplification. Mm. 
Oh, yes. I love that. Oh, boy, Tom, there's so much good stuff here. Maybe you could just regale us now with a couple of stories in terms of folks who had some career transformations in terms of before they did not quite have that clarity on how they wanted to contribute and what they were going to do with life's greatest question. And then they got it and it changed everything. Can you give us a couple of fun examples there? Yeah, you know, the the one that's most uh, top of mind for me when you talk about uh, kind of figuring out contributions as they went along. A, a friend of mine I, I talk about in the book, uh, he, I started working with him maybe 20 years ago. His name's Mark. And he uh, was real involved in uh, Young Life, and which was a student kind of faith-based group and efforts to help kids get involved in communities and give back and do more. And um, I, when I started working on some of the very early strengths work, uh, Mark, he was passionate about college freshmen and said, you know, I think maybe we could put something together that helps them figure out how to use their strengths to pick better classes and to have better relationships. And we just, and he, he was a pragmatic guy and said, I think if we can just get it plugged into these freshman experience classes, maybe it could make a difference. And we just, we've just got to get a handful of professors to assign it as a textbook. And that's now helped. I think it's two or three million kids in their freshman year to, uh, essentially get a better handle on what they're doing and navigate and hopefully end up in a little bit better careers as a product of that. And it it started with someone who had a real passion for doing things in, in a pocket like that and said, how could we scale this out and have a huge outsized influence on the world? And uh, I, I had about a 20-year friendship with Mark and he battled a heart transplant and uh, cancer a few years ago. And um, he passed away just a, a little bit of over a year and a couple months ago. Um, and when I went to his, I write about this in the book, but when I went to his memorial service, it, you know, usually you think of that as one of the sadder moments, but it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen in my life because um, student after student after former student got up and talked about how they were doing things so differently in their relationships and their careers and their education because of the specific influence that Mark had had and his mentoring. And it was, I mean, as we talk about contribution here as a topic, it was just kind of a summary of an entire lifetime of enormous contribution to other people. And I, I know for me personally, it was deeply inspiring and kind of what I hope to be able to continue to do over the remainder of my life is to make those kind of both broad directional contributions and the real specific, deep individual uh, mentoring contributions like my friend Mark Pogue did. So that's kind of the top of my radar right now. Mm, yes, that is powerful. Thank you. Tell me, Tom, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Uh, no, I think we've, we've covered the main topic here. All right. Well, then could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Ben Horowitz, he was giving a commencement address at Columbia uh, two, three years ago now. And he talked really eloquently, if listeners have a chance to check it out, about how uh, real growth is the product of not following your passions, but following where your contributions lead you. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? You know, I think what's influenced me most in the last few years is some of the very important distinctions between daily well-being versus how we look at our life satisfaction and well-being over many, many years in a lifetime where... 
for so long, scientists have just been saying, you know, if you look at your life as a ladder with steps numbered one through 10, where do you stand, essentially? And they ask people to look back retrospectively. And when you ask people that question, it's a very, it's usually very highly correlated to income. And it's the more you make, you buy more points on that ladder, essentially. And countries like Sweden and Denmark and Norway are the very highest of the well-being rankings when you look at rankings based on that broad evaluation. But in contrast, when you ask people, are you having a lot of fun today? Have you smiled or laughed a lot today? Um, did you have a lot of negative emotions? Did you have a lot of stress? And you really look at that daily experience. So whether you, you or I actually had a good day today, it looks very, very different. And the happiest countries on a daily basis are Costa Rica and Panama and Uruguay and Paraguay, these Central American countries that are at the very bottom of the wealth rankings of gross domestic product per capita. So that I think that that daily experience can be a great equalizer, where even in the United States, you don't need to make a great deal of money to have really good, consistent days. And once you do make enough money to stop worrying about your finances every day, the more you make an income doesn't really make that much of a difference. In some cases, it might even lead to more stress and issues. So um, I've really been intrigued by a lot of emerging research, a body of it, on the influence and importance of just daily uh, positive affect is what researchers call it versus negative affect and how that can, I think the accumulation of those days may be a lot more important than how we evaluate our lives once at the very end. Ah, beautiful. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? If I can, I'm going to do a paired trade of uh, two books I read back to back. Uh, one being the, now getting a lot of press with a movie out, Just Mercy. Um, and the second one being a Hillbilly Elegy, which there are two night and day different books about two completely different experiences on different ends of uh, social, geographic, and demographic continuums in the United States. But they, I'm really inspired by uh, true stories that help me to understand experiences that are very different than my own. And so those, those have been well-written, uh, moving books I've studied recently. Uh-huh. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Um, over the last 10 years, everything I've read, both in print and online and uh, conversations I've had, I've, I've stored everything in Evernote, the app. And um, I was just uh, joking with my mother-in-law over the weekend that uh, when I'm her age, that's going to be my memory because my memory won't be that good. So um, that's been a great repository for uh, all of the research and studies and things that I've been collecting over the last decade. Well, I'm going to dig into that a little more. So in terms of, do you just sort of drag and drop a PDF of the thing you read into a given note to then make your notes on top of it? Or how does, how does that work if you have all the actual documents in there? Yeah, I mean, online, I, I can drag and drop PDFs or just clip uh, any web page directly from a browser with one button and when I'm reading things in print, I still get some newspapers and magazines in print. I tear out pages and shoot them through a scanner that goes directly into the cloud in Evernote, just based on some tags and so forth. Even everything I get in the mail goes right through that scanner, unless it's just a junk mail ad, for example. But it's been a great way to kind of have my own kind of a separate Google for my own experience and everything that's gone through my head. But 
by no means would I be able to locate and process and search for without a lot of electronic help. How about a favorite habit? Something you do that helps you be awesome at your job? Um, my, my, my favorite habit is I, I, I think I spend 80 to 90% of my time in a given day working while I'm moving around. And so um, whether that's having a conversation on the phone and walking around, ideally outdoors, I try and get all time outdoors every day. Um, walking, I try to walk my kids to school any day that we can, just so that we all get a little head start on our mental energy, not let alone the physical exercise that helps. So, um, I, my favorite habit is just minimizing the time I spend completely sedentary in a chair in a day. Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget that you've shared in your books and in, in speaking that really seems to get highlighted a lot or retweeted or quoted back to you frequently, a Tom Rath nugget that you're known for? Yeah, you know, I think the one that I see most commonly highlighted out there and uh, kind of posters and internet stuff is the quote about, you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. Um, and I, I talk about that a little bit in this most recent book that I'm really confident, and I, I first wrote that, I don't know, maybe... 10, 15 years ago, but I'm really confident that uh, people counter to some conventional wisdom, you really can't be anything you want to be if you think about it. Um, but I, I do worry a little bit about when people just try and be more of who they already are, that that I, I've seen that in some cases pull people too much towards looking inward. And that's why in a lot of the uh, recent work I've been focusing on, I'm trying to help people to say, how can they take who they are and quickly focus that as point A outward to point B, which is what the world around them needs? Because I think the more they focus and hone their energy towards what their family, their organization, their community needs, it leads to even more productive application of their strengths. Mm-hmm. And Tom, if folks were to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I point them to tomrath.org for uh, any of the books that we've talked about and then contribify.com for the new Life's Great Question book and the companion website that goes with that. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would challenge people to spend even a little bit of time today determining how they can get even closer to the source of the contribution they're making to the world, because the closer you get to that source, the more you can do for others over the years. Mm -hmm. Tom, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. I wish you the best in health and all the ways you're contributing in the world. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and fun talking to you. I think my favorite thing Tom said was about if we dedicate more time to identifying the people our work is affecting, the lives we're improving, then everything gets better. Your experience of enjoyment, of engagement, of fulfillment, of energy, and even your awesomeness at your job. He used these examples there with the folks in food service, when the chefs can see the people they're cooking for, when the radiologists are looking at the MRIs and CT scans. They look at a picture of the people that they are serving there, that those scans are for, and that improves their diagnostic accuracy. I think that is a theme we've heard a few times and one that I can tend to forget. When I'm feeling a little behind, I got to crank out the to-dos. I can forget about who the to-dos are for. And beginning for me, I think I've noticed a bit of a downward spiral in terms of I'm behind, so I got to focus on the task itself. I got to crank it out. 
And in focusing on that instead of the people, I am less energized about the work and I have less energy to bring to the next work. You know, you can see how that could be a downward spiral. Not so fun. Great reminder from Tom. Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F541. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Laura Wong. She is a professor at Harvard and she has studied how we can make a great impression if you're experiencing some bias or you've got some subconscious signals that are going out there that aren't working for you, what you can do about that. Interesting research. Hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.